the hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. New CBS Monday. NCIS! Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent island, they got here. Locked in paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching, these have been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday, starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. on the kids, we must first warn the kids not to gamble. This is the way of the world. We are jam-packed high atop a disastrous downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It is Sunday night, May 7th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Why disastrous? I will explain momentarily, but first, I need to let you know what's on the show tonight. Happy to have you with us. We've got gambling controversy. Now, fortunately for us, for the time being, it's way over there in baseball, but it could creep over here into college football. How do we prevent these measures, or how do we take measures to prevent it? We will talk about it tonight. I've got some win totals, because what would warning you about gambling be without then telling you what to gamble on? I got some win totals. I got four of them, actually, that I like. I have got a deep dive into the ACC tonight that I think will whet your appetite quite nicely as we draw ever closer to the kickoff of the 2023 season. Transfer portal, I think it's finally time for us to talk about some winners, because we've come through transfer portal intel season. Now it's just time to talk about who got the job done. Who acquired the pieces that maybe addressed the needs that they had? There are several teams. I got LSU mood tracker tonight. I need to tell you some things about Auburn too. But all that with them watching us in Kingston, Tennessee, Grove, Oklahoma, uh, Monesty, France. Yeah, they're tuned in tonight. And also they're tuned in in Commerce, Texas. And I want to give a special about 10 second shout out. Uh, Nate in Commerce, Texas. I hate that I missed it. Happy belated birthday. I know a few things. I know you are Pate State material. I know you have purchased things from the Pate State store. And I know you denied your wife a fall wedding and she loves you anyway. Therefore, I do too. Happy birthday, my friend. I said it's disastrous in Nashville tonight. Not in here. It's great in here. But friends, friends, just across the Cumberland River, right outside our window, are 70,000 people just huddled in tunnels at Nissan Stadium because, and I kid you not, it has rained as hard as it has ever rained in the history of humanity downtown over the last hour and a half. They got a Taylor Swift concert about to go down just across the river. Our parking garage has been inundated, and it's, it's not a happy scene over there. Now, you may think to yourself, oh, what would you guys know about that? You sit there and broadcast from your cozy studio. How could you have empathy for Taylor Swift and her minions over there? Well, I'll tell you how. Colin, could we go back to the day after the national championship game when we had our show outdoors last? There we are, right across the river, or the lake, if it will, from SoFi Stadium, and we had a gale come upon us. 
just a good old-fashioned Pacific gale. And if you're listening on podcast, there's Gelby trying to hold the fort down. We've got concrete anchorings, but they are doing not much good, and our tent eventually blew away into whatever that man-made lake is called, and we had to last-minute take our live show the day after the national championship game, and we had to retreat to the media hotel. So, Taylor Swift, I know what you're going through over there right now. You just got to hang in there. Just hang in there a little longer. Hold on for one more day, as Wilson Phillips probably once sang, not in Nissan Stadium. Okay, let's dive into the show tonight. Oh, boy. Oh, but you hear that? You hear the faint echo out there. There's scandal. We've got gambling scandal. Now, this is not a college baseball show, but I think a lot of you are aware of the college baseball scandal that has rocked the sport. I don't know if it's rocked the sport. It was a big deal, though. So Alabama's head baseball coach got fired after a very brief investigation into a lot of impropriety that was set off by a gambling monitor realizing some, some very, very strange bets were being placed on Alabama baseball led to that investigation, which led to his firing. So that's been in the news. Everyone, I think, is aware of that to some degree. Uh, that's about as far down that road as I'm going to go because I want to now talk to you about college football because I think the first question on everyone's mind is, ooh, I wonder what he did. But then the second question, because there's a lot of curiosity about this whole thing, about sports being fixed, about games being rigged, is why I wonder if that goes on in college football. Now, I don't know if I've talked about this on air. It's not the kind of segment we would just up and do spontaneously, but now we have a reason for it. Um, let me, let me give you my take on this. In the most well-orchestrated sports gambling legalization rollout that could have ever been executed, this would have happened. 110% chance this was going to happen somewhere. It might as well be college baseball instead of like a playoff game or something like that in college football. But it was always going to happen. Um, where did this stuff all come from all of a sudden? You know, if you don't bet, and we don't flood our show with it, but if you don't bet, you may be asking yourself, hey, why in the world am I all of a sudden seeing sports betting legalized everywhere? How come everyone's all of a sudden doing this? Well, it's because of the 2018 overhaul or overturn of the federal ban on, on sports betting. I mean, that's pretty much the way of it. And then 33 states so far have legalized it. We'll probably be looking at north of 40 over the next two years. Shockingly, my home state of Georgia has drugged their feet on this. And I say shockingly because Georgia has long been known for two things, uh, peaches, pecans, three things, and people driving across the Chattahoochee River to buy lottery tickets. But for some reason, we don't have sports betting there, and Tennessee does. I digress. How will college football react to this? It was always going to happen somewhere. Is it a crisis? No, it is not. It's probably a good thing, actually, but it's something I'll explain to you in a second. How will college football react to this? In many ways, college football already has reacted. You just don't know it. I think a lot more has come to light about the preventative practices that college football takes right now. Because I want you to visualize this for a second. I want you to visualize Clemson plays Florida State week four this year. And the outcome is what it is. And then the following Tuesday, we've got massive wall-to-wall -wall breaking news that there were betting irregularities and the outcome of the game may have been, um, shall I say, impacted in a nefarious manner. You're talking about overnight destroying the integrity of your sport. 
people understand how serious this is, okay? People who run the show for all their faults, in some cases, they full well understand the seriousness of this. Preventative measures were taken long before you opened your newspaper or clicked on a website or pulled up Twitter and saw, ooh, Alabama's baseball coach got fired. It's just that now light is being shed on it a little bit. So the partnership, for example, with U.S. Integrity, which is a betting monitor that is paid to run data analytics and spot irregularities in this stuff. I've seen them in the news a lot this week. Chris Vanini over at The Athletic did a full feature where he had a lot of people on record is talking about what they do. And all these people do is they monitor betting patterns. And especially when it's on something as low profile as college baseball, they're going to notice immediately. Like, I'm stunned people are dumb enough to do that. Stunned. But they are. So even in college football, they know that you don't, you rarely ever hear about it. I've heard about two or three instances. One of them was an NBA game a few years ago. Like, I got wind of it. It's not something I'm going to talk about publicly because I don't cover the NBA. These people are experts at spotting this stuff. And then what they do is they will alert uh, the state where the bets are being placed, and they'll alert the corresponding league, the SEC, for example, or, or the NBA. They will all have contracts with U.S. integrity. And that's the way that works. And 99 times out of 100, it's going to be handled behind closed doors. People sometimes go to federal prison, and it's never front page news. Why? Because lobbyists make sure that that stuff stays off the front page for good reason. Because even the slightest whiff of a headline of someone going to federal prison because of what they may have done on a Celtics game or on a Florida State Seminoles football game would be disastrous. So they have taken preventative measures. The fact that this thing got picked up so quickly is evidence the system works. The fact that you hardly ever hear about it. And even when I'm telling you they keep it off the radar, I'm saying that's rare. The fact that it's rare is a good thing. It's a very good thing. But here's what was always coming our way. Two things were always coming our way. Number one, a high-profile incident like this was always coming our way because it's impossible for you to infuse sports betting into the mainstream and to have everyone operate with a halo over their head. So it was always going to happen. Regulators knew this. Conference officials knew this. League officials knew this. And so what they all knew is we don't know where, we don't know when, but we do know that it will happen. When it happens, and it just so happens it was the Alabama baseball coach, we've got to make a glaring example out of that person. And that's why him losing his job up there is probably the least of his worries, because an example does have to be made. You got to have a scalp. You got to have something to point to and say, don't turn into him. And that's going to be the Alabama baseball coach in all likelihood. The second thing that I have long suspected and I think will result from this, is college football trying to stay out front of everything will include them forcing leagues and forcing teams to publicize injury reports. The NFL's done this for a long time. I think college football will end up doing this because really what we're talking about at the heart of this Alabama baseball scandal is a guy giving someone a heads up that his starting pitcher was going to be scratched before the public knew about it. Well, that is the sports betting equivalent of insider trading. It's a big no-no. It's more than just a wrist slap. I can assure you of that. Well, college football opens itself up to this voluntarily because leagues do not mandate that teams make injury reports public. The NFL's done it for a long time. Why? To stay out ahead of something like this. And so there's this little cottage industry right now of people being team insiders and, and having the inside word on whether the left guard practiced this week because practices are closed to the public. Hey, 
If you're entering into billion-dollar media rights deals and you're entering into deals with sportsbooks, if you are in bed with the very entities with which your fans place wagers on your games, you're going to have to suck it up. You're going to have to change those rules. Or else you just make yourself totally vulnerable to this sort of thing, and it's preventable. Part of that is preventable. But there's this other world that I want to address for a second. You see it all the time. Anytime something happens in a game that you didn't expect, anytime something happens in a game that's not in total accordance with the way it was supposed to go, you can pull this thing up. You don't have an eye, Josh, because they're not available to the public, but you may have an iPhone. You pull up your iPhone, you pull up your social feeds, or maybe just your texts to buddies. And what are people saying? I told you it was rigged. I told you it was fixed. What's your proof? Well, I, I, don't, I don't agree with what just happened. I can't believe what just happened. I do want to let you know something. I will go immunity ahead of time. I'll go as deep as I can on this. I don't think people have the slightest clue how you fix sporting events. 99% of people who talk about fixing sporting events do not have the slightest clue how you do it. It takes a, a, an elite level of idiocy to fix a sporting event by changing the outcome in terms of win-loss of the sporting event. Only a complete moron would do that. In today's derivative-based betting world, and all that means is you can bet on a ton of stuff inside the game. You can bet on parts of the game, like the over-under in the second quarter, for example. You can bet on that stuff. You can bet on the tight end having over-under three and a half catches. If you could wager on that, and minus 110 returns the same thing it returns, whether you bet an over-tight end prop, or you bet... Notre Dame minus three to win the game. It returns what it returns. It doesn't matter how high a profile the thing you're wagering on is. You're just looking for a return, right? Well, it stands to reason if you wanted to fix something, if you wanted to go fix a basketball game, you don't tell the point guard to throw the game. You just tell him, I'm taking the first half under, dude. Could you milk the shot clock an average of three and a half seconds deeper per possession? And that'll give me, instead of a 52% probability of winning, it'll give me a 68% probability of winning. That's all I need from you. This is how you fix games. Okay, so, so anyone out there who looks at this Alabama baseball thing, or if you look at any other thing that seems a little suspicious and said, I knew that entire league was fixed. I knew that game was fixed. No, you didn't, because no, it wasn't. Because that's not how people who have the slightest clue what they're doing actually go about fixing things. Or if you even want to call it fixing, maybe just, maybe just slightly affecting things. Maybe a little light cheating there. Not, not wholesale cheating, just a little light cheating. So this whole Alabama baseball thing, it's bad in the moment. It'll be good overall, and it is evidence that the system works. So for those of you who are worried about college football and the future of it, college football's future may have 99 problems, but I don't think uh, game fixing is one of them. Next up, let's talk about things that are actually happening, things that we can actually look at this fall on the field. The transfer portal's window for the spring has closed. There are still a few players out there, and we will update accordingly. We've got just some, some shocking headlines, by the way. Just in the last few hours, some, some headlines that truthfully even I don't believe. Paper poppers, every single one of them. So the first thing and the first winner that I want to talk to you about is the number two team overall in the 24-7 Sports Transfer Portal rankings, and that is USC. As long as Lincoln Riley's there, they look to be a permanent fixture, redundant, in this kind of segment, they reloaded big time. They were already top 15 in terms of returning production. So they already had a lot of big time pieces coming back. Of course, they've got the Heisman Trophy winner coming back at quarterback. They added Dorian Singer. He was the Pac-12's leading receiver last year. 
from Arizona. They added Marshawn Lloyd, a running back from South Carolina who probably still hasn't fulfilled his immense potential. He's had some injuries in the past, too. They added three offensive linemen. Uh, they added big-time depth in the front. They got three edge guys, a couple of linebackers, a couple of defensive linemen. They got Bear Alexander uh, from the portal out of Georgia. So Southern Cal, yes, did exactly what you would expect them to do. It's probably going to be a hallmark under Lincoln Riley. Now, you, in the words of Vince McMahon, you want shocking tonight. You'll get shocking. I guarantee it. Jesse, which WrestleMania was that from? Three, two, one, 17. Come on, man. Arkansas, when we last spoke, when you and I last talked, Arkansas was reeling because they had watched Varquise Gums, the tight end, a fixture on this show at this point, transfer from North Texas to Arkansas. Remember this? So let's just talk about this timeline. He goes in the portal from North Texas after having a great season last year. And then tight end Varquise Gums commits to Arkansas for 11 days. And then he goes back in the portal. And that's where we left off. Since then, friends, Varquise Gums has come out of the portal back to Arkansas. So we have one of those classic portal recommitments that we used to read so much about, right? So, um, listen. He can't go back in because the portal window's closed. So at least for the next few minutes, we know Varquise Gums is a really talented player and he's tentatively going to uh, place residence in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas over the next year. Now, they also needed defensive pieces there at Arkansas. So they got the big tight end there, but they also needed defensive pieces. They got Jaheim Thomas, linebacker from Cincinnati, a bunch of Jaheims here. They got Jaheim Singletary, the corner from Georgia. They saw Jaheim walk out the door, by the way. Uh, Anthony Booker's a four-star defensive lineman from Maryland. They were bad defensively last year. I don't think I need to tell anyone that. So Arkansas is a winner here. Arkansas got a lot of portal help. And you know who else they got? They got Isaac Tesla. Lest we forget, he was there for the spring. That's the wide receiver from Hillsdale College. That's the out-of-nowhere impact player. That is a guy that we have circled. Uh, long before anyone else, we have planted the late kick flag in the stock of Isaac Tesla. So we're counting on him. Now, Colorado, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on because we have talked about them a lot. They've got the number one overall rated portal class. Obviously, they're a winner. What does the survey say here? What are the final numbers? Well, they're not final yet because Dion and Colorado could still take more players out of the portal. They just can't see any more go in. Okay, so Jesse, 56 is correct, right? So as of Sunday, as of right now, it's, it's 717 Central Time. <laughs> As I'm saying this, Jesse comes in my ear and says, no, that number's wrong. They just added one more guy. Oh, the perils of live broadcasting in the portal era. So ignore the 56 on the screen. Colorado now has 57 portal losses. I will get back to that number in a second. I know some of you take, take great umbrage with me on how I discuss this. I'm giving you the facts. I'll contextualize them in a second. 57 of Colorado's players have gone in the portal. They've gotten 38, or, or the screen in front of me says 42, so I've gotten 42 out of the portal. Number one player overall, Travis Hunter. Obviously, they added him. Across the board, just pretty much plug and play, and they probably wanted to get their entire two deep out of the portal. How do we interpret that number, the 57 number? Because as sure as I've talked about this, I've gone to the comment section, and a lot of you have been angry with me 
because you think I owe it every single time we discuss Colorado to remind folks that, hey, those aren't all losses in the classical context of the word. They wanted a lot of those guys to go. Guys, everyone knows that. I don't have to repeat this. It's like if I tell you it's 8 a.m., I don't also have to tell you, and by the way, the sun rose. People just kind of get it. Everyone heard what Dion said. Everyone understands. When he went in there and they went 1-11, and 11, a lot of the guys going out the door are going out the door because he said, you don't have a spot here anymore. I don't need to remind everyone of that. No, they didn't have 57 guys say, bye, Dion, and he runs down the road chasing their car as the taillights fade into the distance. No, that's not the way it's happening at Colorado. But in some cases, they did lose some guys they wanted to keep. Many more times, it was they didn't want to keep the kids. So, so yes, yes. I don't think I need to remind you of that every single time. The odds to win the Pac-12 championship this year. Colorado's ninth. So Cal and Arizona State and Stanford are still behind them. Take that for whatever you'll take it for. Uh, I think Michigan is a transfer portal winner. They didn't have to do a lot. So it's way different than Colorado. In fact, it could not be more different than Colorado. Very different boat. They can afford to be very selective. Uh, They got an excellent kicker out of Louisville. They got Turner. Do we say his whole name? James Turner? Yeah, let's, you know what? God bless you, James. He was very good last year. So Michigan, again, they're just kind of cherry picking, kind of selecting. Uh, They got Ernest Hausman. He was the top overall rated kid. They got number two player overall in the portal, a linebacker there out of Nebraska. Ladarius Henderson is an offensive lineman, uh, rated 93 out of the portal. So they just, they got Jack Tuttle, by the way, as well for backup quarterback. They just sprinkled some additions onto already a very, very good roster, the favorite to win the Big Ten right now. And Notre Dame, in this same vein, I got to mention Notre Dame as a portal winner. How much do you value quarterback? Well, we obviously place a premium on the position, and especially if you get a proven commodity at the position that's so good that he, he chases your other guy off. Well, that's what's happened at Notre Dame. You got Sam Hartman from Wake Forest, rewrote the record books there, and now he comes in. And we get to see how legitimate a quarterback he is. And we get to see what kind of impact he has on this Notre Dame roster and on this Notre Dame team. Because otherwise, it's a pretty good roster. That's one that I think uh, as a result of adding him, we saw the odds market radically shift. And it's going to be an interesting start to the season because they have Ohio State really early. And you know Notre Dame's schedule is always national anyway. But last year, Hartman, 63% completion guy. And uh, 39 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. So let's see. You get, a, you get a proven quarterback out of the portal, you'll be hard-pressed for us not to call you a winner. If you want to win your fantasy football league, it starts right now. The offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition. We'll help you win your league on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, part of CBS Sports Podcast Network. Fantasy Football Today has three episodes every week following the latest news, giving you early rankings, early sleepers, breakouts, and busts. So if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager, check out the most dedicated podcast, Fantasy Football Today. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 
nor will you be called anything other than a winner if I find out that you've been doing shopping at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Why, you may ask? Well, it is poncho season in Nashville. It has been for the last four or five hours. And you hate to see it. You know, you hate to see when we stand up here high and dry and we look down on the streets and we see garbage bags or less and we know these things can be prevented. It's 100% certainty rain is going to happen at some point this year for you. They got you covered at Academy Sports and Outdoors. You want an umbrella? You want rain gear? You want a tent? I always mention the tents just because, I mean, tents keep you dry. Plus. But also, let's not just, let's not just deviate away from really what their core mission is. And that's hooking you up with anything you need in terms of outdoor sporting goods supplies. It's not exactly tailgate weather across the river at the stadium right now. But if it were, they'd have you hooked up there as well. Baseball season? Football season? You into ultimate frisbee? I don't know what you like to do, and I don't care. Nor do they. They got you covered across the board. And if you can't get there in person, Academy Sports and Outdoors, opening new stores all over the place. Lafayette, Indiana, just opened up a couple of weeks ago. I told you, I've looked at the chart. If you're driving around your city and you see random construction projects going on, halfway decent chance that it's an Academy Sports and Outdoors, just keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. It's going to be a busy summer and fall for new Academy locations, and we'll be right on top of it. All right. I got so much more to talk about. I appreciate you guys being tuned in to the live show. I've gone uh, two segments, Colin. Good time for the first cough here, I think. We're coming out of the cough. For those of you who have been inquiring as to my status, we're coming out of it. So, uh, so the congestion is gone. Uh, the rain has washed all the allergens out of the air for like 10 minutes. Just a little bit of a tickle in the throat left. So what, what do we do about that? We load up on Ricola. We take a few sips from the chalice. And we suck it up because men have survived far worse. What did you think when Auburn hired Hugh Freeze? Feels like forever ago. It's only a few months ago. Auburn hires Hugh Freeze. I noticed... A lot of you had some derogatory things to say about him. Shameful. So a lot of you went into the off-field stuff. Uh, we talked about it on the show, and I think that you can go back in our archives if you want to relive what I said about all that. Needless to say, I did not go along with the popular narrative. Nor did I really care about the popular narrative. I did care about him on the field, though. And I think uh, several of you also had takes about what he would be on the field. One of the consistent themes that I noticed when people talked about Hugh Freeze at Auburn was, hey, if you can get past all the other stuff, the off-the-field stuff, could this be a guy that immediately sparks Auburn? Could they be in a position to be a team that sees this quick turnaround? You know, because your thinking would have been, maybe they've got some good players offensively, but the previous staff just didn't take full advantage of them. And by the very nature of what Hugh Freeze is as an offensive mind, you may see some underutilized pieces just boom, all of a sudden pop this year. It's not bad logic. It's not the worst logic I've ever heard, but they need players. That was always the prerequisite. You, any turnaround is going to require players. And Hugh Freeze goes through spring at Auburn, and then after spring was over, he was, um, I would say, about as adamant as one could be in admitting we don't really have what we need at quarterback yet. Now, I've, I've still not given up faith in Robbie Ashford. I guess that's just a hill that I'm prepared to die on. But Hugh Freeze, maybe he hasn't given up on him either, but he did want to insert some more competition into that room. The reason I mention that 
is because they did. In fact, Auburn was a big player in the transfer portal. Do, do you know how good a portal cycle this was for Auburn? Auburn's been portaling. They've been portaling hard down there. So they've added 15 overall. They added eight four-star rated players. That's tied for the most in FBS. And they added a quarterback. Finally, they added Peyton Thorne from Michigan State. Talked about him a lot last week. We've talked about him a lot throughout his career. He adds 49 career passing touchdowns to that room. And I was looking at what Nathan King was saying over on AuburnUndercover.com. How do we put that number into context? Well, Peyton Thorne comes in with 49 career passing touchdowns. That is seven times more than the rest of that room had. Experience. Yes, he brings it and they didn't have it. Uh, Michigan State last year, if you haven't, if you're an Auburn fan and you haven't really watched a lot of Peyton Thorne, you just know he played for Michigan State. He had a really good year two years ago last year, pretty subpar. Well, let me tell you what changed. They couldn't run the ball last year and they were really good at it the year before. And that's it. That's what changed. Had a few more injury concerns last year, but really by and large, they had Kenneth Walker III, who got royally screwed along with Will Anderson out of making a trip to New York City in 2021. Then in 2022, they didn't have that. And they were terrible. Some of the worst rushing numbers you could ever see. And Peyton Thorne uh, is many things, but Caleb Williams or Bryce Young, he is not. That's not a guy that's just going to take a team and single-handedly will them up and down the field. He's a good talent, not a transcendent talent. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that we can know about Auburn with all the question marks around. They'll be able to run football, or at least they'll be able to run it a whole heck of a lot better than Michigan State could last year. So with that alone, just that dynamic, you can expect some some pretty decent quarterback play at least. Then you get the infusion with Peyton Thorne and Hugh Freeze, and let's see what comes of that. And then also, what do we get at the very, very, very least? We get competition in the quarterback room there. Uh, This is why Auburn's a winner. I didn't even put them in the transfer portal segment because I wanted to talk about them individually. But but Auburn, uh, they made big moves. Like I said, you got the quarterback there. They added Caleb Burton shortly thereafter. He was one of those wide receivers that was in the portal, just couldn't quite crack the starting rotation at Ohio State. Former four-star guy. He goes to Auburn. Uh, they, They may still make a few moves yet because there are still guys out there but added eight four-star guys, tied for most in FBS. Like I said, Rivaldo Fairweather, remember him? That was the tight end out of FIU. We spoke about him a while back. They added some good pieces. Now, I cannot tell you how many wins that's going to be worth, but I can tell you that they were number four overall in the transfer portal rankings, and Hugh Freeze understands this is not the rebuild era. Certainly, you need to have one down there, but this is the rebuild and win in the meantime era. Lincoln Riley ruined it. Like I've told you many times, for a lot of people, Lincoln Riley sort of kind of ruined it. And he showed that you don't, have to, you don't have to miss a bowl game while you begin your rebuild. You can sort of rebuild and go play for conference championship. Uh, Brian Kelly, for, for that matter, did the same thing in the SEC West last year. So yeah, um, they start with UMass. They go to Cal. Yes, yes, Auburn goes to Cal. The Cal Bears is also a sneaky, really good portal team this year. Uh, they start conference playing week four on the road at AM. They play Georgia. It's the Auburn schedule. You know how ridiculous it is every year. So the Auburn Tigers, a lot of people still out to lunch on them. I think that their portal class has gone overlooked a little bit. You got a bunch of shine on Colorado, USC. I don't think a ton of people have talked about Auburn, and there they sit in the top five. They got the seventh best odds to win the SEC for the record. 
that would put them ahead of Mississippi State, Florida, South Carolina, Arkansas, Missouri, and Kentucky. And Vanderbilt, who we couldn't fit on the graphic. But if you think this is a show that's going to dump on Vanderbilt, think again. <clears throat> You'll just have to wait a little while for that. Okay. Uh, a couple of things we're working on. We've just, we just been working through it as a show. Uh, the first is I've eradicated, frankly, from my vocabulary. So I have not said, frankly, the entire show. What I still have to work on is when I get done talking about something and I want to move on to something else, I go, okay. And then I go back and watch the show. And I hate it. I think it sounds so dumb. I would rather just sit here and say, um, 30 times per segment than go, okay. I hate it. I hate it. I want to punch the screen every time I hear it. So if, you, if you're out there and you feel like that, you got a friend in me. And we are teaming up against myself in one of the wildest uh, hypothetical handicap matches ever. Jesse just uh, reminded me of something else. <laughs> Probably not the best time, but um, I would like to request that you please like the video and subscribe to the channel and subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Why? Because it is our lifeline. It is our lifeblood. We're not charging you a dime for the show and it doesn't cost anything to subscribe, which I'm still fascinated confuses some people. But I get it. When you hear subscribe, normally it means pay money. No, it doesn't cost anything. There's nothing that happens. You just click it and you're done and it helps us. <coughs> and thank you in advance. Okay, so I did it again. <clears throat> All righty. There we go. Nice substitute. So we're out of spring, right? We're out of spring practice. Everyone is closed up shop and we're going into summer and we're going into the off season. Actually, no, we're not. We don't around here. We're not taking any vacation. Va Jesse hasn't been to the beach and I don't know how long. What we want to do is we want to dive really deep into these conferences and talk about what we know. We went into spring and then we gathered a bunch of intel and information. We're coming out of spring. What do we know? And I figured, let's just go alphabetically. So let's start with the ACC tonight. There is a lot of fluctuation at the top of the odds market in the ACC. Do you know who's favored to win the conference? Well, it depends on what day you take a look. Because it's been moving up and down. Do you know who has the highest preseason over-under win totals in the ACC? Well, uh, these are different sports books that have put these out, but it's not the same team. I, I'm not kidding you right now. Clemson's over-under is 9.5. Florida State's over-under is 10. And yet Clemson has better odds to win the conference right now at different sports books, of course. So the first thing I need to tell you is I need to tell you the ACC has righted a great historical wrong and they have made sure to get rid of the division format and therefore the top two teams from the conference will play in the conference title game this year as God intended it. With that being said, what is happening at Clemson? Well, they got Garrett Riley. If you have skipped the entirety of spring, the offensive coordinator from TCU, that TCU, the one that played for the national title, they got him. We get to see him paired up with Cade Klubnick at quarterback. DJU moved along to Oregon State. They are 36th, are the Clemson Tigers, in returning production. Defense is going to be strong again. It's not a concern. Not nearly the concern that the offense is. And there are reasons to be optimistic. But this is Clemson now, coming off uh, a relatively down year production-wise, to the point where it is fair to look at them and say, I'll have to see it. Now, you know, North Carolina, defensively, you always look at them and say, I'll have to see them be good defensively. 
Well, with Clemson right now, it's fair to say, I'll have to see them be an elite offense. And they open at Duke, and it is popular nationally, casually, to look at that game and say, well, that's one dub. Then Charleston Southern, that's another one. In Florida Atlantic, that's another one. Uh, Duke is not an easy win, people. They are not at all. We'll talk about them in a second. So that's the Clemson side of things. The FSU side of things. The FSU Seminoles have an over-under preseason of 10. My, how far we've come. And they open against LSU in non-conference action. This is going to be the number one hype train team in preview magazine season, but it's justified. This is the top portal class in the ACC, number one team in the country in returning production. They are one of few teams in this conference, or in America for that matter, that has a proven, dependable, reliable returning quarterback. They're at Clemson in week four. Like I said, they open against LSU in week one down in Orlando. They are, as of now, where are they? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They have the, they're tied for the eighth best odds to win the national championship. This is Florida State. This is a team that as recently as 24 months ago, people were telling you was dead in the water, need to fire the head coach. This is a dead end. We need to move on. We need to clean house, blah, blah, blah. They didn't, and they are reaping the rewards here. Year three under Mike Norvell. Whomst amongst us knew that if you gave a guy time and just let him work, let him cook, as Bradley would say, things can happen and things may very well be getting set to happen. I was looking the other night at some of the early, you know, week four, week five, week six schedules. We may be at at that FSU Clemson game. You never know. What about Miami? Miami has the fifth best odds currently to win the ACC at plus 1,400. Their over-under preseason win total has been set at seven and a half. What do you need to know? Well, they replaced both coordinators. Did you know that? Kevin Steele's at Alabama now. Shannon Dawson replaced Josh Gaddis as offensive coordinator. And not only that, they kept Tyler Van Dyke. There were those rumors, rumblings. Well, the starting quarterback there has, has been maintained. And you may think to yourself, if you saw his stats last year, oh, who cares? Well, I do. Because hardly anything about Miami's offense worked last year. And Tyler Van Dyke was not a freshman. We've seen him be productive before. And then he fell off a cliff along with a lot of other facets of that team which means he didn't forget how to play, just wasn't put in the best position last year. Let's see if this is the right position for him this year. They're number 35 in returning production. They were top 10 in recruiting, top 15 in the portal. Uh, They play the top four teams, though, in the ACC. So this is the time of year where you want to start focusing on schedule a little bit. Uh, Three of their last four are on the road. They need life. If you're a Miami fan, if you're just me, sitting here talking about Miami. We need to see life. A&M comes in there in week two. Need to see life. I need to be watching them saying, first off, wow, this true freshman class really looks the part. Secondly, I need to be saying, there's Tyler Van Dyke. And thirdly, this team looks a lot more tough, physical, disciplined. This is what Mario Cristobal talked about at his introductory press conference. And then you get deeper in the year and you don't want to see him look like Charmin against anyone with a pulse. That's what we can't have this year. Speaking of non-existent defense, has anyone heard from North Carolina lately? Sure, you've heard from Drake May, 
who gets 10 times the attention of his entire team. But have you heard from North Carolina? They are plus 750 to win the ACC. That is the fourth best odds right now to win the ACC. Interesting. Drake May has a lot to do with that, obviously. Huge question, again, is going to be defense. Uh, This is an older coaching staff. Gene Chizik is still the DC up there. They lost 10 defenders to the portal, which may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing, depending on whether you thought they were worth anything last year. They weren't. Uh, Let me tell you, points per game allowed, 102nd. Total yards per game allowed, 116. Total pass yards per game, 116. Rush yards per game allowed, 86th. They were tied for 114th and 20-plus yard plays given up. They were abominable. Abominable. Twice I've used that word tonight. So North Carolina, they have a schedule that sees them go to Clemson very late. And they also play Minnesota. That's the the game you've all been clamoring for. The old Minnesota-North Carolina tilt. Ask and you shall receive. Uh, Lastly, I wanted to point out a couple of things. Here's a good trivia question for you, especially you ACC buffs. Could I ask you about your own conference? Who's been the second best team over there the past two years? Cue the Jeopardy music. Would you say Pitt? Yeah, maybe some of you. Um, I'm not sure that we'll be singing that tune this year because Pitt is 119th in returning production and their previous two recruiting classes are two of the worst that we've seen under Pat Narduzzi. 20-7 and over the last two years is wonderful. It's likely we have seen the apex of Pittsburgh football in these past two years. No shame in that. Uh, Duke, did you know that Duke entering last year, so around this time, they were plus 50,000 odds to win the ACC. That's like Kevin Malone betting $10 on John Mellencamp winning an Oscar just because if people offer you 10,000 to 1 odds on anything, you take it, right? Well, if someone offers you plus 50,000 juice on anything, you take it, although you would have lost. But Duke was a surprisingly good team last year. So there were plus 50,000 going into the beginning of last year. They're plus 4,000 going into the beginning of this year. They returned 71% of their production. They've got Riley Leonard, the most slept on legitimate quarterback in all of America. Mike Elko, out of the spotlight, but doing big things over there. Um, In the meantime, if we're hoping, and I am, trust me, if, if we're hoping for legitimate football to be played in the state of Virginia, 2023 is probably not our year, and I'm going to tell you why. The over-under preseason win totals for Virginia and Virginia Tech, respectively, are three and a half and five. So maybe they'll combine to make a bowl game, but it doesn't look like it's going to pop off this year up there. So we're going to, you know my feelings on this. It is so inexplicable how bad the combination of those programs has been in a, in a state where they should play high-level college football, and they have before. They have before. So this is, not, this is not like one of those things where you say, hey, if this program ever got its act together, it could be good in football one day. You know the way they used to talk about Florida in the 70s? No, Virginia Tech's been there. And Virginia, even when Virginia wasn't there, they were at least pumping out first-round draft picks. No one's doing that up there now. Ridiculous. Okay, let's, uh, it's going to be a hard habit to break. 
Jesse. Really hard habit to break. I need some transitional words to say so we can get rid of okay. It's tough. It, we, we got stuff to work on this time of year. You, you wonder why we don't take an off season because we got work to do. Oh, boy. Well, we led the show talking about what? The perils of sports betting, right? So it's only natural that we talk a little sports betting here. Colin, here is your endpoint. Did you know we have preseason over-under win totals? Did you know we have those at our disposal right now? Yes, we do. And I have some thoughts. I've actually got four bets I already like. Dare I say, I've already made. Dare I say that? I do not dare say that. Oklahoma State's a team I want to talk to you about. Careful, very careful, because I know a lot of you out there are just sharp enough to be dangerous. In other words, you're paying just enough attention to know Oklahoma State, oh, take the under. Well, I haven't told you the number yet. No, auto fade, auto fade. Well, that's how you auto go broke. You don't auto anything. You got to measure what the team is against the number. The over-under win total is six and a half for Oklahoma State. Yeah, take the under. Why? They've been ravaged by the portal. True. It's probably why the number is at six and a half. Now, you've presented your argument, assuming you're done. You done? Yeah, you're done. What if I told you this? Their schedule is the most laughable thing that you have ever seen. They play all four newcomers to the Big 12. Central Florida, welcome to the party. Houston, Brigham Young, Cincinnati, you're all playing Oklahoma State. It gets worse. They also play all seven teams with worse odds than them in the Big 12. How do you pull that off? Your cousin could be the schedule maker in the Big 12, and you still couldn't pull that off as effectively as Mike Gundy has. Oh, by the way, they avoid four of the six teams ahead of them in terms of odds, and the two that they do have to play, they play both of them at home. I would also like to present this little piece of evidence as to why I think the over is the play here. The last time that Mike Gundy finished under six and a half wins at Oklahoma State, the year was 2005. So give me the over with Oklahoma State. At least that's where I lean heavily right now. What about Louisville? Louisville's over under preseason win total is seven and a half. Under? Take the under. Why? Coaching transition. Well, I disagree again. You and I are not seeing eye to eye tonight. I am taking the over at seven and a half with Louisville. And I'm going to tell you what, as Meemaw used to always teach me, schedule, schedule, schedule. They avoid the top three in the ACC. They don't play Clemson. They don't play FSU. They don't play North Carolina. They only play three true road games this year. How is that possible? Well, they play seven home. They play three road and they play two neutrals. Now, the Georgia Tech game is quote unquote neutral. It's in Mercedes Benz Stadium. But see, there's no hostility. Like Louisville will not struggle at all to go in there against Georgia Tech and they'll travel a lot of their fans down here because it's the first game of the season. And they play Indiana in Indianapolis. And it's Indiana. So I think they'll be fine there. Uh, they've got a top 10 portal class coming in. Jeff Brom by the way, is the new head coach there, which, which reminds me, they kind of stumbled into like a, a, more, a more desirable coaching situation than they had with Satterfield. That was kind of strained, and now they get the guy that they wanted to. 
They got the third best odds to win the conference. No back-to-back road games. It sets up very nicely for them. So I'm going to take the over with Louisville, seven and a half. And you know what? I'm not done. I'm not done at all uh, because I would also like to direct your attention to the Big Ten. I think I like the over with Illinois at six and a half. Uh Uh-uh, under. Why? Because it's Illinois. You make a half-decent point, especially as it relates to years past. However, not last year. We know the Big Ten West is wide open every year, but they are coming off their best season since 07. They went 8-5, and okay? So that alone is a huge deal for Illinois. But let us not forget, children, four of their five losses were by one possession. So they were 8-5 and and close to being a whole lot better than that. And I also think that what Brett Bielema has done up there, just in terms of uh, assuredness of oneself and culture and all these things that matter on Saturdays, it's rock solid. Uh, Luke Altmaier has transferred in there at quarterback. So probably an upgrade at quarterback. And also they don't play Ohio State. They don't play Michigan. They get Penn State at home. Uh, They play four of the six teams with lowest win totals in the Big Ten as well. I need them to win seven games. I think they will. And since we're having this over party, I want to do something that we rarely do. I want, to, I want to get on the elevator. I want to go down to the lobby. I want to walk out on the street. I want to march ourselves up about a half a mile up the road. And let's go to Vandy. Are we about to bet on Vanderbilt football in May? Absolutely we are. What are we doing? We're taking the over. And it's not just because of our feelings towards Barton Simmons. This is going to be a lot better team than three and a half wins. They're out of conference alone could get the job done. There is a, there's a scenario here. And well, let's go long A on this. Just humor me. There's a scenario here where Vandy is hitting their over before they enter conference play. They play Hawaii week zero. They play Alabama A&M week two. They go to Wake Forest week three. I think it'll be a very competitive game. And they play at UNLV week four. Uh, I think that's a three and one start with an outside shot to being a 4-0 start. This is a very improved team that's being slept on because they're Vanderbilt, and I understand that. But it's year three of that coaching staff over there and that implementation of a different way of doing things. They upgraded last year. I think you'll see a more, more of maybe a quantum leap by Vandy standards this year. 73% offensive production returns across the board upgrades. And like I said, our total's three and a half here. So I'm going over three and a half. I think I've got three of them already just in the out-of-conference slate. I could have more than that. And then let's also talk about the fact that as odds go in the SEC, they play four of the bottom six odds teams in the SEC. You remember this game last year? If you're listening on podcast, we're showing you B-roll of Vandy and Florida. Like, they they beat Florida last year. Well, Florida was a double-digit favorite when they came in there. Like, I need them to do that once. I need them to bite Kentucky or Auburn. I need them to do that once. They're going to. They'll probably end up, you know what? If I were to get a little better juice, I'd I'd even go and I would entertain over at four and a half. But I don't have to do that. I'm just just running my mouth on that. Over three and a half is the number. And I like it. So Oklahoma State, Louisville, Illinois, Vandy. We're taking over on all of them. You may wonder, oh, that's... That's a square, a square get. You're betting all overs. Yes, I always do this. Early in the market, I take overs, the ones that I like, and then I wait 
for the numbers to get as inflated as they can because the vast majority of the public bets overs. I know that. So I try and get the overs I like ahead of time before some things get artificially steamed up. And then we'll have an under parade really close to the season, like mid-August is when we'll start, got it, got it. We'll just start randomly firing on unders, but not until then. Let's sip from the chalice. We had some, some rumors, some, some hot rumors. Let me give you some hot gossip from the streets of Nashville today. It's not Vanderbilt related. <clears throat> I got a report about, uh, about 3.30 this afternoon. It made us drop everything. And the report was that Ed Orgeron had been spotted over at the Taylor Swift concert. Naturally, these are not two people whose paths you would expect to cross at any point in time. But hey, much crazier things have happened in the world of Ed Orgeron recently to where I said, yeah, that sounds about right. But we couldn't confirm it. But we did confirm via photographic evidence that he was on the premises over there. We just cannot confirm that he was in the building. So more details as they emerge there. And remember, we will keep you up to date on the Ed Orgeron Taylor Swift concert front. But who was Ed Orgeron's last employer? LSU. What should we do tonight? Mood tracker time. Colin, here's your end point. LSU mood tracker. One of our favorite segments, one of our favorite fan bases. Unless I've been labeled an LSU hater. I checked last week. We've got many accusations on the board. LSU hater, I don't think is on the board yet. So we'll see. The LSU mood tracker is just a, it's the temperature of the fan base. Where is the fan base's head at? But I want to ask you where your head was at this time last year. And everyone can answer this. Now, you can answer quietly amongst yourselves. So let's be honest. Some of you embarrassed yourselves this time last year, didn't you? Some of you fell for it. You fell for the old, well, he's not from the South. He can't win there. He can't recruit there. What accent was that? Look at how foolish he looks dancing in those recruiting videos. Some of you fell for it. And I tried to warn you. But as much as I tried to pull your rope up, you just, you took cinder blocks under both arms and you hopped over the cliff and I could do nothing for you. And so the, <laughs> there's LSU in Atlanta playing for the SEC championship. There's LSU locking down top 10 portal class, top 10 signing class. There's Brian Kelly living his best life down there in Baton Rouge and no one caring what his accent is. There it is. One of the easier things to see coming was Brian Kelly being a fit in the SEC because he's always been an SEC coach. He just happened to be in South Bend, Indiana for a long time. I told you this. Anyway, this is not an I told you so. This is a mood tracker. You know what I think the LSU fan mood tracker is? There's one of, there's one of the most ridiculous ad campaigns in the history of humanity going on right now with Burger King. It's the whole have it your way thing. The, the, the mantra is not bad. The music's horrible. But they got their own BK at LSU. I think their mood is have it our way. There's a certain way LSU folks act. There's a certain way they think. There's a certain way and certain pride they take about themselves. Very unique culture. You should never apologize for it. You should embrace it. You shouldn't care at all if anyone ever makes fun of it. I love going down there. So I'm never one making fun of it. I'm the one kind of standing over here with you guys saying, what then? What then? I just sound a little different than you. I'm like Brian Kelly. I would kind of have to fake it if I were to do the accent down there. I'm not from a parish. I'm just from a county. And that county is over in Georgia. 
but I still, I count myself as one of you. And, and thankfully you do too, so you feed me every time I go down there. Have it our way. Currently having it our way. Um, the Brian Kelly experiment's not an experiment. It's just working. It's going to work. There's no mystery there. They have the number six recruiting class. They got the number three portal class. Excellent quarterback room. Harold Perkins, probably the best player defensively in America. Don't forget about Mason Smith. You know, they won the West last year and lost Mason Smith in week one in the FSU game. Everyone just forgets about that. That was so deflating. And they, they, ended, up, they ended up still regrouping and winning the West. O-line, something they need to upgrade. DB is a question mark. They went and got an entire secondary out of the portal. Um, that's a question mark. But they return 81% of their offensive production. A lot of reasons to feel good. A lot of reasons to think you're going to have it your way. There were two groups of people. When LSU hired Brian Kelly, there were two groups of people. The first group laughed foolishly and said, oh, how could LSU hire Brian Kelly? Then there were people who know the sport. And I was over there with them. And I was saying, how could you let LSU hire Brian Kelly? But when we said it, we were talking to the rest of the SEC. How did you mess around and let them land Brian Kelly? Do you have any idea what's about to happen? Uh, a lot of people didn't. A lot of people thought it was a joke. A lot of people thought that football's really all about your accent and about whether your dancing videos inspire confidence or not. This is about understanding how to get good players and how to put them in the best position to succeed and how to develop them in the process and sell a program. And there is nothing that I just described that he's not any worse than an A- minus in. And he's been that way for a while. And LSU will continue to perennially be a contender. This is not a program where you have these wild fluctuations like Michigan State. They're in the playoff picture two years ago, and then they're under bowl contention the next year. That's not the way it's going to be there. They'll just consistently be a winner. Not going to win the division every year. It's really hard to do. But you're going to have to go through them if you do win it. So they're one of two SEC teams with a returning offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach, and quarterback. Who's the other one? Your Vanderbilt Commodores. Your, your neighborhood team here in Nashville, Vanderbilt Commodores. LSU's in a good place. LSU having it our way. Now, I'm not going to sing the ridiculous song. You guys can if you want to. But Brian Kelly is the right guy at any time. Brian Kelly, when Georgia had an opening back in 20... When did they fire Rick? After 2015? I remember I was doing talk radio and, and we had taken really, really an infant version of what would end up becoming Late Kick Live and we were doing it on TV down there. And I said, Georgia should target Brian Kelly. Now, the guy they ended up hiring did okay. Kirby something. But I thought they should hire Brian Kelly. Everyone thought I was crazy. And they said, why do you think that? And I said, he's already an SEC coach. And back then, he was more intense than he is now. Brian Kelly, I, I don't know what kind of medication that he required, but there's no way the heart is meant to pump as much blood through the body over four quarters on a Saturday afternoon as Brian Kelly was requiring from his heart to turn his face that color red. So I think that he's taken the foot off the gas a little bit, at least in terms of outward aggression. He's just flat out aggressive. 
to his quarterbacks and whatnot. He talked about that. Anyway, that always screamed SEC to me. He just happened to be at Notre Dame. When that didn't happen, and then he started to get a little bit older, I just thought, okay, that, that time, that window has passed him by. He'll end up retiring at Notre Dame. And so that's why it surprised me so much. When LSU was able to get this done, it surprised me so much, but it's so obvious. It is so obvious. I was doing, I was doing radio down there last week, and people said, hey, do you think the nation understands Brian Kelly? And I said, no. And the reason I say that is because I think nationally, when folks hear him talk now, uh, when, they, when they just see the way he carries himself, they think it's a show, but it's not. I think that's the real Brian Kelly. That was always Brian Kelly, and it was just kind of buttoned up at Notre Dame. I got no problem with that. Like one of, again, one of the things I love about college football is there are different cultures at different programs, different things prioritized, different ways they go about doing things. Having said that, some guys are more well-suited for one versus the other. Brian Kelly was always more well-suited for LSU. He just happened to do a pretty darn good job at Notre Dame in the meantime. And so Notre Dame's happy with their guy now. LSU's happy with their guy. Classic win-win. Rare commodity in any day and age, especially in college football. But everyone kind of got what they wanted. And now we got LSU about to open against Florida State in, in possibly the, absolutely, the game of week one. I hate that it's in Orlando. No offense to Orlando, but it is what it is. It was in New Orleans last year. And then they open conference play to the LSU Tigers in week three. They go to Alabama this year. That's the toughest road game. Otherwise, they got Auburn at home. They got Florida at home. They got Texas A&M at home. Fun time should be had by all. Fun time was had by us here tonight. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. Uh, Make sure that you have liked the video if you haven't already. We could easily get that number over 500 before we go off air. We have an interesting week coming up. Very interesting week. I can't tell you anything about it. But as I did promise you last week, I think this week we will have an announcement about the location and date for our next Pate State Speaker Series trip. It's going to be a good one. It's been heavily requested. This is not going to be the last one. In fact, we have a lot of them coming down the pipe, but it's going to be a very, very fun late spring and summer stretch here. What it will not be in any shape, form, or fashion is an off-season because you will not allow it and we don't want to take one. So for Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, for Associate Bradley, I'm Josh Pate. Take care, have a great rest of your evening, and God bless. Focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho College murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? This is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag Cyber Sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.